This is Danielle Grouchek, founder of Canine Inspired Change. Welcome to the Canine Inspired Podcast, where we explore the connection between humans and dogs and give you tools to strengthen your bond with your dog and with your community so you can get out there and do good with your dog. All right. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. This is Erin Jorick, and I'm joined by Danielle Grouchek. Hey, everybody. Uh, Today's episode, we're doing another Ask the Trainer episode where we're just going to ask some dog training questions that come up pretty frequently. And the spectacular Danielle is going to give you her thoughts. Okay. Uh, So first question, Danielle. We get a lot of questions about equipment. Oh, yeah. Um, y- well, let's start with a harness, because I know you've got a strong opinion mm-hmm. on a harness. Give your recommendations to the listeners in regards to a harness and what type of harness. Yes. So um, a harness can do double duty. Um, there's a lot of harnesses out there that are spendy and and they're... You know, make a lot of wild claims that, you know, there are no pull harness and and some of them are bulkier. In my experience, uh, they don't work that great. And I have a big problem with the kind that um, are configured so the front piece goes across in a straight line across the chest and hits the shoulder joints because I think it impedes movement in the shoulder girdles. That's kind of how it works. And I think over time, I just don't like that. I wouldn't want to do that with my dog. But also, more importantly, it slides a lot. So it, it kind of almost looks like it's up the dog's body halfway. It just I just don't think they work um, as well as they could. And also, then there's no other way to connect that leash to that harness. It's just on the front. That's the only game in town. And so if the dog pulls at all when they're on that, um, connected to that harness, then they're going to have the experience of pulling when they pull and not pulling when they don't pull. Ideally, you would when you're che- teaching your dog to um, walk on a loose leash, which is the point of kind of any harness or training collars or harness situations, um, you don't want them to experience pulling at all um, and unless they're on free time, which I should say they should have a free time option and they should have a, and, and a working option. So in typical fashion, I am going off on a wild tangent. So the harness <laughs> I like, <laughs> I think that is a theme <laughs> to answer the question. Um, the harness I like is super simple. There's not any particular brand. It's a very, very simple harness that, um, You can attach your leash to the back, but you can also attach your leash to this little connector point on the dog's chest. And the the characteristic to look for is an O-ring, which sits at the dog's chest, and then the the fabric come off of that, and it goes like a V up your dog's neck. So it's it's missing the shoulder joints, um, and it's just very, very simple, bare bones. Um, That O-ring at the front on the chest is not even meant to connect a leash to. It's just a connector point for two pieces of fabric but we use them um, as trainers because it's pressure on the chest that stops the dog moving forward Um, and then also that's your that's your working you're working that's business and then you um, can also have a free time where you attach your 
um, leash to the dog's back and has a little flippy doodle thing on the back there where, um, you know, that's where it's meant to be connected by the manufacturer. Um, and um, we consider that working time. So if you think about business in the front and party in the back, so you can switch around on every walk um, relative to what you're working on. Right. So that's the one I like. <laughs> we what? can we should put a link because it's hard to describe it. Like just like, you know. Right. And I think those are like the really common Harnesses, but in my experience working with people, they don't realize that there's options, that there yeah. is a front and there's a back and, and there's benefits to both. Well, the and the problem that I've come up against, too, is I don't think they're common at fancier pet stores. Right. People, I think the the higher priced kind of, I don't know, they have all kinds of different configurations and um up to the harnesses those are more uh prevalent and then also when i've sent people to get this type of harness that i'm describing they say oh i asked the person at the desk the one with the connector at the chest and i'm like and they said there isn't one like that and of course it's not meant for that so right. you wouldn't go in and ask for that i think can we link it um, oh yeah okay I'll, we'll link it in the show notes yeah okay yeah so there you go. What are your thoughts on uh, gentle leaders, the ones around the yep. muzzle? Yep. So those would be used only in a situation where the dog was stronger than the handler, in my opinion. And even then, there is another option. I think there is, um, everybody was ex really excited about gentle leaders when they first came out because it does control the dog's head. I mean, like, it's if you think of a horse halter, you're controlling a thousand pound animal just by their head. It, it's the same thing. However, dogs have to open their mouths to pant. And so, to to get a fit a good fit with them is hard in my experience because I've I've tried all these things, um, so sometimes the mouth can't open wide enough to pant. Also, then sometimes I see it like squishing the eyes, you know. Mm -hmm. So then the vision, um, they're just not my favorite. Great, I have one more equipment question. Um, you actually kind of changed my mind on this a little bit. Mm -hmm. Prong collars. Mm -hmm. I my gut instinct was no, those yeah. are. Those are bad. Why yep. would you put that on your dog? Will you speak to prong collars? Yep. Um, so that's what I was referring to when we, when we were talking about the gentle lead. So in the case of the dog being stronger than the the owner or the handler, you have to do something so that your dog is safe and society is comfortable with you. You know, outside with your dog, so it can't just pull you over and do what you know what it wants. Um, so in that case of the dog being stronger than the handler, a prong collar is effective in that, um, well, number one, you don't have to use a gentle leader. It's just an option, and it's different for every single dog. But also, um, I should say every single tool can be used in the right way, and it can be used in a, you know, a punitive way that's not helpful, including just a regular old collar. So um, if you are educated about how to use a prong collar and you get a good prong collar, meaning the little um, the pieces on the end are very smooth, they're not rough, um, and also you get a prong collar, usually what I recommend is even for the biggest dog, you get one meant for a small dog, a petite dog, which why they even make those, I don't know, but okay, they make them. And, but then you just get extra prongs. 
I see. Forward. So you're not having this huge bulky thing. And and the thing with the prong collars, you don't want it dangling. You want it to fit really snugly around their neck. Um, and if you have the most contact points, it's the most effective. So, um, so yeah, there's that. Great. That's helpful. Um, I should say one other thing about prong collars, too. Um, in the case, so with prong collars, you don't ever want pressure on them unless you're correcting. So you would never want your dog to have like really free time on that you would have another flat buckle collar on your dog and so if you were in a place where you it was safe to do free time you could then take your leash off of your prong collar and put it on the flat buckle collar because if your dog is um stimulated by another dog or something usually that's the case and they they pull hard to go like to that other dog the pressure from the prong collar is going to make that worse it's not going to help in that situation. How it helps is the, the dog is walking next to you and really calmly. And then it's going to make a like one wrong move, you know, and you're like, whoop, boop. And you give it a little boop, pop. So it's barely touching them. It just kind of reminds them that you're there and it, it, it um, keeps them from getting to that explosive state. If they're already in the explosive state, it's going to make it worse. You just got to get your dog, get your hands on your dog somehow, get your body between them, you know, whatever. So um, definitely if you're going to use a prong collar, consult a trainer. Don't just try to try to try to wing that one. I did not know any of those things no. about prong collars. That's great. Um, so switching gears a little bit, there's been some questions in regards to multi-dog homes. Oh, yeah. And introducing a new dog to your home right. and... Uh, the interact like you know negative interactions mm -hmm. between you know the new dog and the established dog. Do you have advice for that? Yeah. Um, so I'm gonna make a revolutionary statement. <laughs> Not all dogs like all other dogs. Um, and and I don't know if you're you know people growing up you have roommates and some roommate situations are great. Um, some are not so good. Um, some even living with family members, you're like, ah, and some are good and some are bad. So um, dogs have personalities just like people and not, it's not always the best uh, choice to have a dog that has been constantly fighting with another house dog to the point of stitches and, you know, bodily harm remain in that house. Um, so that being said, if you, do have two dogs who are getting into it. Um, a great thing to do is train with them both. Um, and you have to control the, you know, you have to control the environment. So no free time between the two dogs. If you're going to go walking, you have them each on a leash and you have two handlers or you have one on either side if that's doable. Um, you don't have any resources out that you don't dole out. You don't, they don't get to just hang out together. They have kennels um, or ones in one room. You know, you have a partition. You just don't give them the opportunity to mix it up. Um, and then uh, and then you train with them. So if you're training with two dogs at a time, you're rewarding for the one that does it the best. So, for instance, I have two dogs in front of me. They live together. And they. I'm asking for a sit. The one that does sit the first, the tail hit, hitting the ground, they get the resource first. Um, and they start to compete then to be, um, you know, to, to do it the best. And 
And the other one does get the resource as well, the food as well, but, you know, they would get it second. So you don't have to worry about, like, oh, this one's the pack leader, this one's older. You just dole out for behavior and, that you know, for the goal that you, you that you're that you're looking for um that another thing that does is it unites the dogs together and puts you as the leader so you're leading them anytime you're training your dog or doing anything with them whether it's a trick or or disc or or just simple obedience you are creating a relationship with your dog um that's important and that you're leading and they're following so if you're doing this with both dogs um at the same time and, and you as the leader it's going to strengthen your leadership skills to them. If this is not doable, so let's say you're listening to this and you're like, yeah, f- great, good times to get both these dogs and I'm going to train both of them at the same time. Don't worry. A dog learns a lot from watching another dog train. So you'd want to get your dog either in another room beside a gate or behind a gate or in a kennel watching you train your one dog and then you would switch them out. Um the other thing is if they then do mix it up, you want to be watching them closely because they usually give you indications that they're going to fight before they fight, where um, the ears go back. There's they, there's a stillness that happens, uh, um, and you want to quickly you know interrupt that. And if they do start to get, uh, if they do start fighting, you want to immediately um, give negative feedback to both of them. So it doesn't matter if one starts or the other. What you're doing then is saying, like, if you can think, if you grew up with a sibling and um, you got into a fight with your sibling and the parent was like, um, I don't care who started it. You're, I will not have fighting in my house. That's kind of the tactic you want to take. Do you have any recommendations in regards to introducing oh. dogs? Like, are there ways to, like, mitigate it, you know, b- yeah. before this stuff even escalates? Yeah. Um, introducing a new dog into the house is not my specialty. And um, and we're going to have an awesome dog breeder on shortly. Her name is Jamie Dow. Um, um, and we're going to talk to her a lot about that. And she's an expert on puppies and, and, and all this stuff. But um, definitely... Uh, you want to make sure that you can control the environment and control outcomes. That really means very, very little freedom from any of the dogs in the house. So leashes, on leash, treats, multiple handlers if you can. Um, Letting them have really short uh, interactions. So if you think about um, any organism's instincts for protecting themselves, it's fight flight or freeze so if you are and you want to control all this and you want to make sure that the dog is kind of behaving in the way that you want them to behave you want to get a a peaceful outcome out of this Um, and it might not be your dog's instinct so we want to control for this so we go in with dogs on leashes right away you're removing the flight option so this also is relative to two dogs meeting each other on a leash Um, and so Often where people go wrong is they let the dogs meet too quickly and too, like, hyped up. Ah! So you'd want both of the dogs on the leash, the new dog and the, the house dog. And you would want them to be in the vicinity of each other, but yet get them to a place of, okay, like... There's a dog there, big deal. And taking so you do this by taking treats. And if they're they can't calm down, you would just give more distance. So distance is your friend when you're working with something like this. Um, 
And then you get the dogs closer together and you're maybe you're just even 20 minutes hanging out and you have both the dogs on leash. They can't meet each other physically, but they know they can see each other. They can smell each other. And so you're getting to the point where the dogs are like, OK, we're just sitting here. I see you. You see me. Then you can introduce them. And then here's the other common mistake is when people then introduce and it's going well, they let them linger too long. And then usually what I hear is they were just standing there like sniffing each other and it was great. They they seemed fine. Then all of a sudden. Rrr. So so what happens usually is that so we already have spoken about the the flight option is removed because you have them on leash. So they meet, they are comfortable with it to a certain extent this is a new dog to them and so after a period of time depending on the dog they start to think i'm not so sure about this anymore and usually then the freeze option kicks in and the handler isn't thinking anything bad is going on because the dog's just standing there if you're not trained to to see oh this is not just an easygoing standing dog you want a little movement from the dog um um, versus just a frozen dog, then you, you're not going to pick up on those things. And then if the dog freezes for long enough and nothing is done to remove them from the situation, then the only thing that's left is the fight. Mm -hmm. So the best thing to do is, like I said, set it up in the, in the manner of, you know, they can't meet until they're calm and they've, they've been in each other's vicinity for a minute. And then when you introduce them, let them sniff, sniff, sniff. And then you go, okay, puppy, come here. And you both back away. The dogs reorient to you. And now that was just a one positive interaction maybe it was only 30 seconds long and then you're like okay we got that under our belt let's go again and you do that several times and start building up so um they they start to just build the neural nets in the brain that this is a this is an okay dog for me it's painstaking like it it's really a long is. process but it's worth it right it's worth right. it to build that strong relationship right. from the beginning well and that being said there are dogs that you could just let them go and right. they're fine so you know, this is the foolproof way, especially if you know you have a dog that is not dog friendly. Right. Good. Thanks. Yeah. Um, and then, I mean, this could probably go on for a long time, but mm. I know a lot of folks have um, adopted dogs during COVID. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And now, um, you know, knock on wood, we're kind of in a place where folks are starting to maybe go back to in-person work mm -hmm. and either, you know, new dog is going to be home alone for a while for the mm -hmm. first time or established dogs are, you know, they've been with their humans for a full year right. and now they have to go back to being alone for a little bit. Um, separation anxiety is, is coming up a lot. Yep. What are your recommendations right. for that? Separation anxiety is hard too. Um, okay. So um, the first thing you want to do is just build up the tolerance to the separation. And but prior to that, set yourself up for success. So is your dog fed and exercised and mentally stimulated? So what that could look like is you wake up, you do um, you do a little bit of training with your dog, teach him a trick. You know, um, teach them, uh, just do some stays or something, um, work with them, feed them, and then take them for a walk. Um, then when you go to leave, um, 
you can give them something that is going to produce a soothing effect to that dog's brain, such as like a Kong. So repetitive licking is like a pacifier to a baby. Um, repetitive licking to a dog is like a pacifier to a baby. So not so much chewing, but chewing is nice too, but you don't really want to leave a dog unsupervised with a bone. Um, so the Kong, like the licky, licky, lick, 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 um, Repetitive licking is soothing. That's why you sometimes you see dogs licking on their front paws, too, when they're stressed. Um, so you want to leave them with something like that. And then you want to leave the house for, depending on you and your dog, maybe five minutes, and then come back. And be like, look, nothing bad happened. You did great. Yay. <laughs> Copper's here. Our, our, one of our therapy dogs, Copper's here, making us laugh. Okay. So, um. And then you build on those positive kind of leavings and returnings. And ideally, you want to get back into your house before your dog um, kind of exhibits any like high stress behavior, such as digging, growling, barking excessively. Um, if you if they do do any of those things, then you just have to make it even shorter amount of time um the other thing you can do with separation anxiety is vary your leaving routine because oftentimes the dog mm. is like oh god they're in the shower now ah, oh gosh they're getting their keys they're putting their shoes on ah, and the dog's like working itself up because it sees your leaving routine happen so if you put your shoes in a different spot you don't let your keys jingle you don't um you know you do these different little things and then you the very last thing you do is roll the kong with peanut butter to your dog and you leave they haven't had the chance to work themselves up to you leaving yet mm. um the other thing you can do is keep a little um you know treat bowl by the door and granted if you're giving a lot of treats you have to cut back on the dog's the food because we don't want to make them overweight but um you could take the food and just scatter it around the kitchen um, and then the dogs have to go look for the different pieces of food. So we're just trying to give them something else to do rather than go into the whole like anxiety cycle. Fun, fun. I, <laughs> I already have anxiety about my dog. Like get it. Or here's another one. Get another dog. <laughs> oh, great. But, yeah. then, but then they'll start fighting and then you'll be anxious about that. <laughs> It'll be a whole setup of the house. Us Americans and our dogs. Our dogs. I feel like the Europeans would be like, what are they talking about right now? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, before we sign off for this episode, I want to just make a quick plug. So so folks who've listened to the podcast, anytime I've talked about my dog Wallace, I maybe have mentioned that he has, he was a rescue. He was fearful and mm -hmm. it took us a long time to get him out of his shell. Um, but the therapy dog work is yeah. it's, it's exactly what he needed was yeah. he you know has a job. He has a purpose and it's really built up confidence for yeah. him because he because he's typically pretty submissive mm -hmm. um anytime we were with like you know friends dogs or whatever he just you know he would just kind of like roll over and and you know be the submissive dog which is fine but we've seen over time that he's become so much more confident with our therapy dog work so on that note um if you have a dog that is canine good citizen certified yeah. has been through one of our prep classes yep. or is already a therapy dog with another um, recognized organization, we invite you to join our next therapy dog training our CIC specific mm -hmm. therapy dog training. Um, it's the first session is May 1st and it's going to extend over six weeks. We're going to knock on what be in person because um, yeah. it's really exciting. Um, 
So, folks, if you're listening and you kind of fall within that category, there are some prerequisites before you come into one of our trainings. Um, but we are so thrilled to to see the light at the end of the tunnel. I know. We are going to be doing more in-person work know. in the fall. Well, and we and in the summer, we have Camp right. CIC happening right now, you guys. It's so exciting. We, we are having um, three separate camps happen, and one of them is already full. So... Um, it, it, check our website for that because we're so excited to work with all the kiddos and the dogs um, this summer. Right. Go to uh, canineinspiredchange.org and you'll find information in regards to Camp CIC and also our upcoming therapy dog training. Danielle, thank you for sharing your knowledge. I'm I'm always so eager to no, hear what you have to say. Thank you. And I should say there's a ton of other trainers out there and maybe some other methods and I certainly don't know it all. Um, and so... Um, yeah, open to feedback and um, and uh, we're also always looking for good pod, not good, just podcast podcast guests. So any trainers out there new know any new stuff, uh, please do um, shoot us a line. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah. Well, until next time, everybody. We see, I see you. You matter, and get out there and do, do good, good with, with your dog. dog.